Very good morning, church. Very good to see all of you here and also those joining us online. Uh, I would like to begin today by showing us a famous artwork, right? You can flash it on the screen. Anyone seen this before? Looks familiar to you? No, not really. I didn't draw this. Uh, this is really a famous painting, okay? <laughs> so do you know how much this is valued at? You want to hazard a guess? Just shout out a number. What makes sense to you when you look at this? $50. Okay. Uh, $50 won't be famous painting, right? <laughs> eh, well, what do you think? Anyone else? 100K, right? Very modest figure. Actually, it is a uh, painting done by Mark Roth, uh, Rothko and it's painted untitled, right? So, it, no, it's named untitled, right? And it is actually worth more than $20 million, right? It's uh, yeah, estimated 20 to 60 million dollars because you know art it fluctuates. And uh, right now it's in private collection. If it hits the market based on the past transactions of other Rothko's, uh, it's probably around 20 to 60 million. And some of you here couldn't believe it, right? <laughs> and I came to know about this painting when I read this book here. This it says uh, this book is why your five-year-old could not have done that. Right? Uh, you not all of you are very convinced by this title. Uh, so let me just show you another artwork, right over here. Right, how much do you think this is worth? Five dollars, I don't like that, this is, <laughs> oh, just all one, it's getting lower and lower, right? Okay, this, this one, right, uh, is actually also an important painting, right? Because I agree with this, uh, book, it says, your five-year-old could not have done that. This is not done by a five-year-old, this is done by my two-year-old son. <laughs> And, and that day, when I picked him up from school, he was very excited, and he told me, right, Papa, this is my artwork. And I was also so excited because this is the first time that he used the word artwork. <laughs> and I think I'll be even more excited if this ever sells at an auction. Right? <laughs> and you know, art, you know, it's like film, like dance that we have seen earlier, poetry, or many other kinds of illustrations. They have the potential to create a certain kind of impact. Right? And that cannot be achieved with simple, plain telling. And our Lord himself clearly knows that. And that's why he often speaks using illustrations. Right? Sometimes using metaphors and sometimes parables. And we had two sermons on different parables the last few weeks. And today, we are going to look at the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. Right, let's read it together on the screen. Right, 1, 2, sorry, if it's a bit too small, as I've been told, right, you may want to refer to your own uh, Bible app. I'm using the ESV version here. Right, give us some time for those of you who want to refer to your phones, right? Uh, one, two, three. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. My last spring. But may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our God, our Redeemer. Amen. Right, I will structure the sermon today in three parts, where we'll begin talking by talking about why does Jesus speak in parables? But secondly, we will look at who is the parable of the sower meant for and what is its purpose? 
And lastly, we'll look at how we should respond to the parable. Right, immediately after the parable of the sower, which we have just read, we see this conversation between the disciples and Jesus in verses 10 through 13. Right, and I'll read that to you. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not understand, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Right, the first thing the disciples asked Jesus was, why do you speak to them in parables? And when I first read Jesus' response, I thought it seems a bit unfair. Right, because it sounds like some groups of people are given the secrets, and some are not given. And more than that, Jesus also said, for those who has, more will be given. Why well, isn't that even more unfair? Right, shouldn't you give to those who don't have? You know, after my sermon, uh, uh, last sermon a few weeks ago, there were actually some people who thought that SP was a Blackpink fan. Right, if you're hearing this for the first time, you didn't hear my first one, right, it's okay, just listen carefully here, right, I must clarify, right, SP doesn't like SP, uh, Blackpink, right, this is real. Huh? So don't send him any more Blackpink stuff and don't sabo me, okay? And the reason why people, some people thought SP liked Blackpink, right, is because I said that SP liked Blackpink, right? so it's kind of my fault. But I said it as a joke, okay, <laughs> to illustrate that it cannot be that SP is a Blackpink fan because there is no evidence at all to suggest that he even remotely likes them. Right, but that's a problem with jokes, right? Because not everyone gets it. Huh? And that is also the case for most kinds of illustrations. You know, have you ever watched a movie, you know, and after watching, you have to Google it? Right, because after watching, you're still not quite sure whether what exactly happened in that movie. Right, in 2010, there is a movie called Inception. That has since become a cult classic, right? This movie over here. And I'll share with us the ending because 13 years already, uh, so cannot be a spoiler anymore. Right? So the movie ending there showed a spinning top right at the bottom there, as you can see. And the movie ended just when the spinning top appeared, right, to begin to slow down. Right, so you're actually not quite sure if the top is really going to stop or is it going to continue spinning. And in the context of the movie, if the top stops, it shows that the person is in reality. And if it never stops, it means that he is dreaming. And this last scene was deeply frustrating for some people. Right? They are thinking, wow, why the ending like that one? Huh? Is it a dream or not a dream? What's the director's problem? Why can't I just say properly? And the effect of a parable, right? sometimes it can be like that. First of all, imagine if the movie ending tells you very clearly right, the, 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 the top suddenly stops, right? And then it tells you, right, it is not a dream, right? The end. Imagine what would the effect be like for those of you who have watched it before. You'll be probably be like, well, cool. Well, never expected that. Hey, later, you know, where shall we go for dinner? Because there is a difference between information and illustration. Right? Information can be clear and obvious, but it may not have an impact on you. Right, good illustration have the ability to help you experience the essence of the information. And to help us experience a little bit today, right? I decided to you know show you a few of my old t-shirts. Not so much about the shirt, but the, the illustration, the pictures on it. Right, so if you look at this, right, it's my old t-shirt, right? What is one word that you'll use to capture this? A suitable word. Beatles, right? A lot of you can, uh, okay, yeah, you recognize this picture from uh, Abbey Road, one of the famous uh, uh, artwork from the album. Uh, what about the next one? Take a look at the next one. An even older shirt, uh, but I think you can still pick out the picture. Space bar, right? The astronaut drinking at the uh, at the space bar over there. And the last one here. 
One word to caption this. Caption this. Wireless, right? Was also Pastor Sam, very good, right? Get all of it, right? He, I, I don't think he heard it before, right? So he, he's just into it, right? So wireless, this one, last one is uh, wireless. And imagine, right? Imagine this. If I were to flash the answer out together with uh, the shirt right from the start, right? You just look at it and say, oh, yeah, I see. And then Pastor Sam cannot hold in anymore, right? No more breaking rights. <laughs> so I think the reason Jesus spoke in parables is because he wants to illustrate what the kingdom of God is like and not just talk about it. And when Jesus says to those who has, more will be given, I think it means that to those who are able to get it, right, they gain yet a deeper level of understanding that which is not knowledge but revelation. And I'm sure we have experienced a little bit of that before. When you actually get something, right, and somebody asks you, hey, what is that about? Huh? And then when you explain it, the effect is different because you have to experience it for yourself. Because information alone doesn't bring transformation, right? It must become revelation. Then there will be transformation. And God didn't just give us writings in Scripture, but He also sends Jesus in flesh. And today, we need to let the Word become flesh in our lives. God's Word cannot remain as information, but we must let it become revelation. Right, but to those who don't see it, right, the mere information is of no use. And after a while, right, it will just be forgotten, as the text says, right, taken away from you. So how is the parable of the sower, right, a story that many of us might be familiar with, become revelation for us today? Right, and today my task is not to give you more information, but rather humbly, I humbly invite you to come alongside and follow along what I'm saying and let the word become flesh in you today. Right? That's my prayer. So let's take a closer look at the parable. Uh, we can begin with this typical Bible study question, right? who is the parable of the sower meant for and what is its purpose? Right, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told the parables to the crowds. And the disciples were also in the crowd. And there were a total of seven parables told. The first four were spoken to everyone, and the last four plus the explanations were spoken to the disciples after they left the crowd. And then when I read this, I can't help but feel that, again, Jesus sounds seems a bit biased. You know, I thought that he just mainly wanted to speak to the disciples, but no choice, the crowds are there, right? And he had to speak in code, right, so that other people don't get it. It's a little bit like a secret society sign, right? Those outsiders don't know, but those who know, know. If this were true, right, think about it for a moment. If this were true, and if Jesus was primarily just speaking to the disciples, then what purpose do the parables serve to the crowds? Right, he was just speaking to the disciples, then actually the purpose of it to the crowds is just to confirm that they cannot hear. Right, it's a bit like Jesus is saying, I already know you don't understand and you don't, uh, you can't hear what I'm saying. So I'm just telling you anyway to confirm that you cannot hear. Do you think that's what our Lord is doing? I don't think he does this just to prove a point. Because in verse 11, it tells us that Jesus says that the parables are about the kingdom of God. And the gospel is basically to tell the world about the kingdom of God. So it indeed be very strange if the parables they are meant to illustrate the kingdom of God are reserved only for the disciples. Because the parables are meant to show more clearly what the kingdom of God is and so that it can help more people understand it. So it seems to me that the parables are primarily meant for the crowds and that's to say, therefore, everybody. And the last line of the parable of the soul in verse 9 says, He who has ears, let him hear. And when the Bible uses the word hear, right, most of the time it refers to not just hearing superficially, but hearing and acting on it. 
Right, so again, it seems to me that after Jesus shared the parable, he's telling everybody, right, all of you here, right, don't just let the words fly past you. You who have ears, hear and obey. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, hear and obey? Right, but as with most illustrations, not everyone will get it. Right, there are some people who are just better at catching jokes, right, perhaps because you are wired that way. There are some people who can understand complicated movies very quickly, maybe because they watch a lot of movies. And there are some people who appreciate art and poetry more because perhaps they have spent time to study in those areas. Right, but what about parables? Who are those who will get it? Right, the fortunate thing is that Jesus' parables are meant to be simple to get. Right, you don't have to be a literature student or a psychic to understand the gist of the message. Right, I'm not saying that everything in the parable is always direct and obvious. Right, because if that's the case, then there'll be no need for Jesus to elaborate and explain further to the disciples. But the gist of the parables, the main thing, is not that confusing. Right, let's look at this parable. Right? It basically talk about, uh, talks about four groups of people. Right? Those on the path, those on rocky ground, those among the thorns, and those on good soil. So would you agree with me that if you hear this parable, wherever you are, right, it's quite obvious to you that you want to be the good soil. Right? I don't think anyone will hear the message and it says, that, oh, okay, I want to be among the thorns right? because I'm a beautiful rose. Right, I want to be the rocky ground because I, I really love the rock, right? The purpose of the parable is quite evidently to exhort you, to call you, and to invite you to be like the good soil. So the primary audience that Jesus is speaking to is the crowds, and that's everybody. And his purpose is calling them to obey and follow him. Now how then should we respond? Now, yes, we know that we are to obey and follow, but how can we do it? But right, if that's what you're thinking, then I would like to read to you verse 16. Right? Verse 16 says here, Blessed are your eyes for they see, and your ears for they hear. Right? God bless you. Right? Because when we are ready to obey and follow, we will start to ask Jesus, what should I do? And that is the word becoming flesh in us. Right? When the eyes see and the ears hear, these are supposed to be normal behavior. Right? And it tells you that the organs are functioning well. So when we hear God's word and we want to respond, it's meant to be a healthy sign. So we know that, okay, that's good, right? We are not just receiving as information. It is now revelation to us because we are asking, what's our role in it? What are we supposed to do? In the parable, it tells us that those on rocky ground do not have depth and those among thorns do not have roots. So the converse of it, it means that those on good soil have both depth and roots. Right, when the soil is not deep enough, the seeds cannot grow. Right, and even worse, if there is no soil at all on the path, all the more it cannot grow. And I think Jesus didn't even bother to elaborate why those that fell on the path didn't make it, because it's too obvious. Right, without any soil at all, there's no growth to talk about. And sometimes when we see the word deep, right, we think it means a chim, right, literally deep in Hokkien. Uh, and then we think that chim means that we must know a lot about the Bible, Right, you must do more Bible study, and not just any Bible study, but the good and solid in-depth Bible study. I don't think that's what depth is referring to here. Right, because the good soil already has got the depth. Right, before it receives the word, it already has got the depth before the seed is sown. So in this context, I think the depth is referring to a state of readiness that the soil is already in. So what state do we need to be in that would help us be ready for growth? Right, I think that state is humility. Right, Matthew 23, verse 12 says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And Proverbs 11, 2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. 
So when we humble ourselves, we are preparing ourselves to receive wisdom. We are preparing ourselves to be exalted by the Lord and we are preparing ourselves to grow. Hence, I think the first response we can learn from the parable is to humble ourselves because that puts us in a state to be ready to grow. No, we have witnesses for ourselves many times as well. Right? Two people can listen to the same sermon, right? but one can leave feeling impacted while the other one feels it's a waste of time. Right? And often the reason for that is humility. Because humility allows us to receive wisdom from the Lord while pride closes the door. Right? And I love my wife for this, right? Because she's, to me, she's a great example of humility. And every time she goes to a workshop or conference, right, she always learns something. She's exactly the kind of student a teacher would love to have because she will sit in front right, with a notebook and then always taking down notes. And I sometimes tease her for that. But why, why does she do that, you know? I've asked her before because she says that, right, her mindset is that God will be using them to speak to her. I think her posture is one where she honors the speaker and the teacher and always having the, 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 the predisposition that God can use them to speak to her. I think that requires a certain degree of humbling of herself. And that means, I think, to empty herself to a certain extent, to let go of her preferences and presuppositions and pride and to make room in her heart to receive. I think all of us here have got preferences in receiving messages. Right? Some of us like to hear stories. Right? Some of us don't like to hear stories. Right? So what happens if the preacher that week right, doesn't suit our preferences? Are we able to still receive? Right? We may also have our own presuppositions about how things should be. Right? Maybe we have read a book or an article online written about a certain topic in the Bible. And it resonated so well with us and we are convicted that, oh, that really is something that I want to believe in and be convicted about. But then what happens when somebody shares a different point of view? Where are we going to immediately write off that person and say, no, 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 the view is wrong because I really read it somewhere else. What you say cannot be true. Right? Actually, our preferences and presuppositions can all be manifestations of pride. Right? They clutter our heart and they close the door to prevent us from receiving what God wants us to tell us. Wants to tell us. And we have to make way for God to enter. And I, and I thank, you know, Pastor Cynthia for the word earlier, right, about that stopper. And I sense that, you know, God is already preparing some of our hearts here before the sermon today, right? If there's something that's stopping you, right, let God open that door today. And later in the, in the later part of Matthew 13, it says that, and when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from here and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they are astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Right, so after Jesus taught the parables to those in the crowd, he went back to his hometown to teach, right, I suppose perhaps teaching the parables as well. And the verse says that the people were astonished. So, and they even acknowledged Jesus' wisdom and mighty works. So we know that Jesus' wisdom and mighty works were not in secret code. Right, because the people could see and affirm that. It is quite obvious. Right, so the information here isn't the problem. Right, the problem here is that there is no revelation. They didn't get his message. Right, they didn't get his message. Let me give you this illustration, right? So let's say, imagine, right, those of you with, with, with children. Um, so if the kid comes up to you and say, right, uh, Papa, I'm hungry. Right, what do you do? They say, wow, okay, now I know you're hungry. Right? Is that what you will say? Or you affirm him, like, wow, thanks for telling me you're hungry, I know. Right, the obvious thing, the message is that you go and get some food to pass to the person, right? So the information alone, right, is meant to deliver a message. 
Right? So in this case here, they didn't get a message. And why is that the case? Verse 57 tells us that they took offense at him. Right? What makes them so offended? Let's look at 55 and 56. I would like to suggest that the summary of that is that mainly it is pride. Why he's asking, right, is that not the carpenter's son? It's not his Mary, uh, it's not his mother Mary, and not his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and not all his sisters with us. So basically, they are saying, right, how can it be that this Jesus knows all these things? Right, he cannot be better than us. We know exactly who he is. He's that person who lived down the street. Right, he's nobody. Right, in short, I think they are getting, they are letting their preferences, their presuppositions, and their pride hinder them from accepting Jesus. Right? Jesus was someone they had interacted before, and they rejected his wisdom and his mighty works because of pride. And this is ironic, because initially they were astonished, right? but they, later they shut him out. And because of their pride, they were unable to receive the revelation for their transformation. Right? They let what they see remain as information. And after that, the information will fade into oblivion. And this echoes what we read in the parables, where it says that there are some right, who receive the word initially with joy, but because there is no depth or no humility to properly receive the word, where the word did not transform them. And the passage ends off in verse 58, right, that Jesus did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The pride they had not only closed their door to revelation, but it eventually led them to a place of unbelief. Right? What a scary thing. Right? When we have pride, it's not just about not being able to receive, we are actually regressing as well. So my friends today, I think the rightful response that we need to have to the parable is to humble ourselves, to clear our pride, so that we can make way for God's word to pierce our hearts. Right? And the second response that we can have today right, is to commit to obey. Right? Those in the good soil not only have depth, but he also grew roots. And being able to receive, being ready to receive is one thing, right? but we also need to move beyond just our initial fervor and uh, really commit ourselves to keep obeying. Because in Chinese, there is this saying right, called San Fen Zhong Re which means hard for three minutes. But it means that the desire to pursue something only lasts for three minutes. Right? Growing roots obviously can't happen in three minutes. Right, neither can it happen if you remove it from the soil from time to time and examine it, right, and put it back again. Because there needs to be consistency over a period of time for roots to grow and anchor deep. The late Eugene Peterson has a book titled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Right, and he talks about obeying God not just momentarily or temporarily, but consistently over a long time in the same direction. Right, this title was actually a quote taken from German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, right, who is a well-known atheist. So being committed and obeying actually is not a spiritual principle. It's something that the world and the atheists affirm very well because in order to achieve a goal, you cannot stop prematurely. You've got to commit to it for a long time in the same direction. And many successful people in the secular world practice a long obedience in the same direction towards the goal they've set out to achieve. You, know, you have read about perhaps uh, habits of the top CEOs where they lead disciplined lives so that they can be highly efficient. Or athletes who compete at the highest level, they also go through intense rigor and structure in their lives over a long period of time in order for them to reach their desired performance levels. How then is the Christian commitment any different? Right, I would like to suggest for us that it's actually vastly different. Because worldly commitment is about willpower so that you can have mind over matter. But the response God wants us to have is not merely about training willpower. 
Yes, there will be an element of that, of disciplining ourselves so that we can become more resilient and we grow in perseverance. But the main fuel for our commitment is actually God working in us. And for us to experience this partnership with God, we must also take our steps. And there are many verses in the Bible, many places in the Bible that, that tells us to do that. Right? James 4, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Right? Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call to me and I will answer you. Right? And Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So he talks a, a lot about our initiative to go out to go to, to our, our response to God. God already took the initiative to reach out to us. It's our response to God. We need to respond to God and God will in turn respond to us. After we humble ourselves and we become ready to receive and follow God's word, we need to really do something. And when we walk out in that obedience, our text tells us today that more will be given and he will have an abundance. Right? This, this one, this is a spiritual principle. Because when we begin to obey God seriously, he will give us more to continue obeying. And that helps us to keep obeying and keep receiving. Eventually, we have an abundance. So you contrast that with what the world does. Right, the world relies purely on your own uh, striving, your own willpower. You just keep committing to give. But Christianity is not like that. Even though we are called to, to obey in the same direction, God comes along and He supplies us with, with His grace. He supplies us with all that we need. What a beautiful thing that we have in Jesus. Amen? Let me just show you a picture of what my house looks like, right? Uh, around 9pm every night. It's a... Uh, Fairly sanitized version for public consumption. <laughs> so, uh, not the messiest that you would see. Because uh, uh, he usually plays, this is my son Judah, he usually plays here after his dinner. And sometimes at the end of the play session, you know, it can get quite messy. And every night before he goes to bed, right, he knows he's supposed to keep all his toys because uh, I, I try to train him to do that. But when we first started to get him to do it, right, it was not easy. Right, so I have to actually help him a little bit. Right, so I will emphasize to him, right, it is your responsibility to put the toys back where they are, but I will help you. Right, so what I will do is this, right, so when he put one toy back, right, you can see that there are the tracks, right, so they need to be dismantled, and all the or trains need to be unjoined, right, so there's a lot of things to keep. So um, what he does is he will take one piece, right, maybe put it in a box. So once he put that one piece back into the box, I will actually quickly put a few back as well, right. Uh, so when he sees that I'm helping him put a few back, right, he will take up, pick up the next piece. I think he's encouraged, right? So he will continue to keep. And we will continue, I will continue to help him until everything is all kept. But at the end of it, if you look back, right, actually, usually I'm the one who packed more than him, right? But still, I will tell him, right, thank you for keeping the toys. Well done. And I think our obedience towards God is a, a little bit like this. When we take the small steps to obey, right, whether it is to pray, to read His Word, to help someone or share the Gospel, right, God, many times, He fills in our gaps. Right, He stands in for our inadequacies and He fills up our witnesses. And He's adding a lot more of His input in us and in what we do. And it's indeed the case that more is given. And at the end, God still graciously gives us credit. Right, he still says, He will tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. But actually, the really faithful one is God. Right, but through our obedience, we experience His faithfulness and we experience His abundance. You know, there was once at home uh, when everything ended a little bit uh, later than usual and I wanted uh, my son Judah to go, go to bed quickly because it's really late. So I told him, right, today you just need to keep one item. Just keep this one item. I will help you with the rest because today is, is very late. And then he actually told me, no, no, cannot. Uh, he must keep everything. 
And in his tiredness, he actually went to keep and do more than what he usually does. And that day, I largely just stood by, I watched him, barely helping him at all, and he was keeping all of those things. And I was quietly pleased. It's like, wow, he has grown, at least for that night. And it's often after we have grown that we can look back and say, oh, wow, I've grown. And the road to get there is not uh, always linear in the sense that it doesn't mean that, oh, once you have done it once, uh, you can always keep doing it again, just like my son, right? You, you may go back and forth a little bit, right? It's going, going to be ups and downs. But church, I want to encourage us today, you know, that as we continue to obey, also know that we will grow, right? And this growth is going to be our transformation. And with God's help, our commitment to obey will not be burdensome, but fruitful. Right, that leads me to our final point today, that we need to bear fruit. Right, in the parable, the seed in the good soil bore fruit, and some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Right, if we are called to be the good soil, right, then we are also similarly called to bear fruit. And when we read this parable, sometimes we, we associate it with the big names that we know. Oh, you know, Billy Graham, or like uh, our senior pastor, Henry, or our assistant vicar, right? or even our late brother, Joseph Chen, right? Who is indeed a giant man of faith. And we think, wow, these are the hundredfold. And then we think for ourselves, uh, maybe I, I'm ten, lah, right? But actually the Bible didn't say ten. I said, oh, okay, okay, then like that, I'm thirty. Lah. But brothers and sisters, let me remind us again, right, that the, the parable is not telling us information, right? It's not meant to be an MCQ and ask you, hey, which one you think you are? Let's choose. It's actually bringing us a message, right? And the message is, it's meant for us to respond to what it is saying. It's telling us to be as fruitful as possible. We are to be as fruitful as we can, right? Be it 160 or 30. And when we read this, there are some maybe um, commentaries, right? They, they may say that, right, it's about different people having different gifts, different talents, and therefore yielding different fruits. Right, but personally, when I read this, I don't think that's the focus. That's not the main point here. Right, it's not to get us to consider our talents. Because the, the exhortation here is that we should try to be as fruitful as possible. Right, in other words, I think it's telling everyone here to aim for 100. Right, we should all aspire to yield a hundredfold. And don't be limited by thinking that you're only meant to be fruitful in a small area. Because you are meant to be as fruitful as you possibly can. But at the same time, right, if you use 60 or if you use 30, right, it is still good, right? It is all good. And we should rejoice for the fruit. fruit. Right, the purpose of sowing seeds is to bear fruit. And this is not unlike what Pastor Andrew shared last week uh, about the parable of the fig tree. And all these imageries are meant to illustrate to us that God wants us to be fruitful. And to be fruitful, we need to sow. Right, we have heard the parable as a hearer. But now, we need to be sowers. Right? We need to start scattering seeds. Right? How, can there be, how can there be fruits right, if there are no flowers? And how can there be flowers without seeds? And how can there be seeds unless someone scatters them? So I'm paraphrasing Romans 10, 14-15. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they, have, they are sent? Right? In other... Uh, <coughs> In other words, to bear fruit, right, we need to sow. And sowing in practical terms will mean that we have to share the gospel. Right, I know many of us here are already doing it. Right, there's a lady called Josephine. She, she, she was with us in the earlier service. Right, and she's always bringing people here to church. Right, she always bring people to the welcome corner, bring the service to various places. Right, her job, she's a hairdresser. 
and she makes it a point to share the gospel to her captive audience whenever she can. And I know there are some of you here, right, who are also running many alphas and inviting pre-believers to come and explore the faith and hear the gospel. Right? All these things are sowing. And I think we should keep on doing these good works. Right? But I also know that you know, sowing is not always so straightforward. Right? We had the Moonlight Over Queenstown event sometime back, and someone came to me and he told me that well, he was a bit disappointed right? because the gospel was not shared at the event. Right, he had brought his relative down there and he was hoping that he could hear the gospel. I would like to suggest to us that actually we need to do both. Right? You need to tell Jesus, tell people about Jesus explicitly, but sometimes we also need to help people to be ready to receive. Right? Because the parable tells us that not everyone is ready to receive. So what do we do if we know that someone is not ready to receive? Do we just keep giving the person Bible verses? Right? Just keep telling him about John 3.16 and how Jesus died for them? You know, someone uh, told me that like uh, there are sometimes our friends don't want to come for our Easter or our Christmas uh, production, right? Because they already came before and know, roughly know what it's about. Right? It's either going to be about the story of Jesus, right? Or or, or it's going to be about oh, somebody's uh, story. I bet you right? Then after that, oh, they know Jesus. Then their life turn around, right? And to us, we don't take it lightly because we know there's revelation, right? We marvel at the testimonies, but to some people, that's just information, right? I've heard this before. And how do we bridge that then? Right? If it's only information, how can we help them receive the revelation? What is our role? So I think we can do our part by helping them become more ready. Because if we see our responsibility as merely just sharing the gospel, in a sense of you know perhaps uh, going through uh, the four spiritual laws, telling them that God loves you, you're a sinner, Jesus died for you, do you want to receive Jesus? Right? Then our job is actually done once we share this. Right, and we can practice and do this very eloquently, and it will still help us to harvest uh, the souls that are ready. But I don't think it will help us very much in those who are not ready. So don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with sharing that way. I'm just saying that we should continue to do that while doing other things as well. Right, because to those who are not ready, we need to love them by going the extra mile. Because the information about God will not transform them, we need to be the illustration that can bring God's revelation. Right? We need to be the word in flesh for them. And I think going the extra mile sometimes is an illustration that may just stop them in their tracks for a moment. Right? We often love in a way that, it, that is convenient for us. But I think God's love for us is not something that is just convenient. Right? It is something that goes the extra mile. And this is something that I'm still learning to do as well. And I, and I also try to learn from many of you here, right? Because when I read the testimonies about what you guys uh, do, I'm truly encouraged and I want to be like that as well. So I'll just share with you a, a, a small story here. Where every morning I send my sons, right, to their childcare center. And there will be a few people in the neighborhood that I consistently bump into. Right? In particular, there is this Malay uncle and auntie, right, that sweeps the estate nearby. And we will usually see them on my, my way to school. So in the beginning, um, I, 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 I struggle because like, I have to detour sometimes because uh, they might be sweeping somewhere further away. I may have to de- detour just to say hi. Right? If I go on my own way, they can't really see me. So I struggle because that may mean sometimes I may be late. Right? But after a while, I thought, that, okay, I make it a point. Every time, no matter where, like how out of the way it is, I'll detour a bit to go and say hi to them. Right? Then after a while, I, I, I thought, well, how, how, how else can I sow into their lives? How else... Can I perhaps uh, reach out to them and get to know them a bit better? So on my birthday week, uh, uh, a few weeks back, 
I received uh, some cakes. And I thought, I want to build this relationship, right, by giving them some cakes and hopefully start another conversation. And that morning, right, I got my son excited. Uh, I got him excited by telling him he can eat cake, right? So he was very excited. So he, he ate a little bit. Then after that, I tried to involve him and say, right, let's uh, cut the cake together, pack them in containers, and I want to pass the cakes uh, to the aunties, uncles on the way to school. Right, but that morning, right, we walked all the way to school and we didn't see them. Now, I was a bit, I was a bit sienna because, you know, we prepared, wanted to pass them and we couldn't. So my wife asked me, you know, wow, like that, how? So I decided we'll pass it to one of the uh, coffee shop aunties that uh, we were at a place where we usually have our breakfast instead. You know, so in the end, I still passed the cakes to someone, right, but something in me felt that it is incomplete. It's, it's like some of you, after you share the gospel, you feel that that cannot be it, right? It can't be just, I just share and that's it. You know, but the day went on and I had other things to do and I went on with life. I think this is an example of loving when it's convenient. Yeah, I wanted to love them, but it has to fall within my plans. And when it didn't, although I did think about going back later in the day or maybe buying more cakes because there are no more cakes left, but I didn't do any of these things, right? Because it's inconvenient and I got busy and I thought, oh, Ah, very difficult. And I didn't choose to love in spite of the inconvenience. And I want to love better than this. And I want to learn to go further for people even when it's inconvenient. And I'm still trying to sow in the auntie and the uncle's life. So even as I share, I guess it's, it's to keep myself accountable and also perhaps to, to, to encourage us to do the same as well. But even as we try to love better and go further incrementally, I want to encourage us that our faith it's an active living faith. Right? Because it's active and real, there are spiritual giants all around us. And some of them have gone before us and they have demonstrated well to us what it can look like. Right? I'm sure we, we, have, we know many of these stories. I'm not going to share the stories here, but I would like to suggest to us, perhaps you may want to note down one or two of these stories that spoke to you. Right? Maybe bookmark them, like download them, save them in your phone, print them out somewhere. And let these testimonies be an encouragement to you, right? These are not the Bible, right? But they are the illustration. Sometimes even the Word of God can be just information to us as believers. We need that to be revelation. Right? And to do that, illustrations usually work best to bring out the revelation. But more importantly today, right? Let us not forget the perfect example that Jesus demonstrated for us when he came down from heaven, that even though he is God, he did not find it too inconvenient to empty himself of his divine privileges. He came to be born in the manger as a helpless babe, lived among men, and gone through the suffering that humanity goes through in a broken world. And finally, he loved us till the very end by even choosing to willingly die on the cross. How very inconvenient indeed. And I pray that we may learn to increasingly love in such a way like Him in our own lives. Can I just invite you to bow your heads? As I'm sharing this, I'm just wondering if there is anyone here who has not known Jesus, but today you have heard about Him doing all these things for us, that even though Christians are inadequate and we fail many times, but our Lord Jesus has a perfect example and he's able to help us to do the same. If you're hearing this for the first time and you want to respond to Jesus and you want to receive Jesus and you want to say, Jesus, 
show me how you love. I want to love like you. I want to receive your love. If that's you today, can I just invite you to raise your hands? Is there anyone here? And also for us today, the rest of us, you know, the word that Pastor Cynthia shared earlier, just kept repeating in my head. She talked about a stopper. Right? For some of us here, there seems to be a stopper in our hearts. Whether is it to God? Maybe there's a stopper preventing you from hearing God. Maybe it's pride. And for some of us, there's a stopper that prevents us from reaching out to people genuinely and connecting with them and going the extra mile. Maybe that stopper is inconvenience. Maybe that stopper is prioritizing our own comforts. And today, if that is you, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and remove that stopper from our lives. So we are gonna, I'm gonna ask you all to stand. And as we sing this song, if you'd like to respond, please come forward to the front. So if you want to receive Jesus for the first time, or you want Jesus to rejuvenate you, right, or you have that stopper that needs to be removed, come forward to the front, and we'd like to pray with you. Let's just worship the Lord. gave the word earlier before in the message and I sense that perhaps for some of us we just need a bit of time right and God is opening up this time for us right as we sing this song again if God is already tugging in your hearts or encouraged you right today when you hear the voice of the Lord do not harden your hearts respond to Him come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit I'm reaching for your heart You 
We just want to thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you for your anointing, your power, your strength, your grace. And Lord, as we leave this place, Lord, we want to pray, God, that we will be like the disciples. We will go to you after the crowds left. We will go to you and we want to ask you, Lord, tell us more. Show us more. And Lord, we want to pray, God, that we will have that desire for more revelation and we will never allow your word to become just information in our lives. So Lord, we want to pray, God, you keep us humble, keep us hungry, and keep us loving you more and more. Let me just give us that benediction as well. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Right, service is over. We'll see you next week.